Thanks again for joining us for another episode of I Hear You. I'm one of the hosts, Odell Cleveland, and my good friend, our partner in crime, Alex. Alex, how are you doing today? I am blessed. It's so good to see you, man. How you been? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. So, you know, you all remember, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me at Odell Cleveland on Twitter. And Alex, what's your handle on Twitter? Uh, at Alex McFarland on Twitter. And then on Facebook is uh, Rev Alex McFarland, R-E-V. But um, just got back from Colorado teaching a class out there. And uh, anyway, come into a, a slew of emails and everything. So I apologize for probably being a day or two late in responding to some of your emails, but thanks for your patience with me, Odell. No problem. And always to the listening audience, you could always visit us on IHearYou.show to get your swag. You can get your coffee mugs or your dog tags. And the main thing with I Hear You is always the difference between hearing and listening. And as Alex and I were meeting the other morning and we were talking and Alex brought up something that was very interesting to me about camouflage. So Alex, can you share with the audience, you know, what you shared with me? Well, yeah, we were uh, going out for coffee and uh, I figure, you know, here's this guy and he's uh, the leader of one of the largest churches in our state and a very you know, high profile church in our country. And I think, OK, he's probably going to be in a suit, probably going to have a Louis Vuitton briefcase. And Odell comes in in camo. So I'm like, he's, he's dressed like, you know, uh, one of the good old boys. Um, but it was uh, later I learned a certain brand of camo, Ralph Lauren. I didn't know Ralph Lauren makes camo, Odell. Well, where do you find that? Yeah, at the polo store. You know, you know, <laughs> black folk, we're going to do the polo store. You know, we're going to do the style, Alex. So when you yes. say camo, it's camo from polo Ralph Lauren with the little horse. You know what the little That's horse cool. means, right? I was impressed. I was really impressed. Okay, but but it's interesting that I'm a hunter. As everybody know, I rabbit hunt, I deer hunt, and out all this kind of stuff. And people say, oh, you don't look like a hunter. I don't picture you as a hunter. And it's like, what does a hunter look like? What does picture someone look like? And the interesting thing about I wear camo when I go in the woods, deer hunting, but it's a different type of camo. But, you know, camo is coming in style now. You see camo, paint camo, you see gray camo. And let me just say from another perspective, from a black person looking at what things white people are doing. Now, Alex, you have to be careful because y'all starting to play with that little leopard skin a little bit. Oh, well, you, know, you know, that oh, leopard dude. print, you know, it's like that used to be before I got saved. I wasn't always saved, but before I got saved, that was like intimate apparel. So now all of a sudden I see white folks, white women with, with <laughs> this whole leopard print on. What's going on with that leopard thing? And, and see, you know, as a style-challenged white guy, I got to say, I like leopard. I mean, I would... One day I was left here after you and I recorded. I went to a nearby furniture store and they had like a leopard couch. I'm like, I want that. I want this to be the look of my house. But, hey, I'm going to get to the question here in a second. Oh, what? But before you go leopard now, now, I know you like to hang out at the mall. Yeah. And leopard print. I don't want to see you, Alex, a preacher in Victoria's Secret looking for a leopard print. I don't want to see that here. Let me tell you, Valentine's Day is No, coming. no, Alex, don't tell it. Don't tell it all. We don't need to know uh, uh, it all. T- too much information. Too much information. Uh, but but you know what? <laughs> you and I, we hadn't known each other long at all. And Odell gives me the name of his tailor so I can go get a decent looking suit. And you are a man of style. You always 
look great. I try. I and, try. And I kind of look like I just came out of a garage sale, you know. So I appreciate it. Odell Cleveland cares about me because he gave me the name of a place I can go get a good looking suit. But let, let's transition. Let's talk a little bit. One of the things you and I both care about passionately is education. And, um, you know, I never dreamed that I would be a professor in teaching in colleges. And I know you're adjunct faculty at uh, a few schools. And um, our backgrounds make us who we are. Uh, Let me ask you this. Um, You and I both came up during a time in American life. There there was the segregation of the schools. Mm -hmm. And then there was the desegregation of the schools. And, And I remember my first grade was at Irving Park Elementary in Greensboro. And then my second grade, for the first time in my life, I was sitting side by side with black students. Um, now, I had been, by having the, the egg business out here in rural North Carolina, I had been around black adults a lot of my life. So being around black people was nothing new to me. But it was, in second grade, it was different, not bad. It was just different. And I've told you stories about being on the school bus with you know, white kids, then suddenly blacks and whites together. But let let me ask this question. How was your educational experience? What do you remember about growing up in in South Carolina and your school experiences? Any notable memories that stand out? Yes, definitely. We were right smack in the middle of integration in South Carolina. South Carolina was horrible when it comes to racism, when it comes to integration. And my experience was I went to an all-black school in the first grade and the second grade. Perfect. Then integrations hit. Boom. I had no idea. Here, Just imagine this. A poor black kid from a poor community with a divorced single mother of four children who was had a massive stroke. You heard the story. Yeah. So now I roll up in the school, and from this kid who's just happy, 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 smiling, all this kind of stuff, to a teacher who didn't think that this black kid should be in school. So first we got put in this thing called a remedial class, meaning that you had different classes. I didn't know it, but certain people went to certain classes through when integration, meaning that you were more advanced kids in this class, the remedial kids in this class. Then they had another class. They had this thing where they put people in special ed. Now, nothing against special ed, so I'm not saying that. What I am speaking against is using special ed as a punitive way of putting certain black kids, majority black boys, in that class. So I went in and went from this A student down to this student who couldn't do anything, and I ended up failing the third grade. But that wasn't enough. I had a teacher who decided that I needed to be put in special ed. Now, understand my experience in integration is probably different from yours because I came from people, black folk who always tried to create an environment where nurturing, you could do all you could do, encouraging and everything else, and went to another environment where everything was you couldn't do, you were wrong. And I remember, Alex, the way the teachers would say to me, Odell, this is always going to be on your permanent record. This is going to always be on your permanent record. This is going to always be on your permanent record. So I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. But the thing that really probably gave them the most problems with me is that I didn't always believe that just because they were in authority, they were right, because I always knew the way they treated me, 
it wasn't right. So I would respond to the way they treated me. Mm-hmm. So with that, you know, I, I went back because, you know, I'm like much like yourself, we write books and we do the research. So I went back and I got a attorney and a educational firm to go back and dig up my records. And when I look at my records from the third grade, and what I want the young audience to know is this hasn't been that long ago. We're talking about 1970, 71, 72, yeah. 73. And Alex, I gave you a copy of it. So if you would, for yes. the audience, when you start looking at certain things, when you start talking about how the teachers score you on a scale from one to five on courtesy, dependability, you know, initiative, self-control, respectful authority, work habits, leadership, personal appearance, even personal appearance. Alex, I thought I was cute because how can I be a good looking black man without being a cute, good looking black child? But on personal experiences, what did the teachers mark yeah. you down as? Well, regarding per, uh, personal appearance, we've got to put on the website the, the most beautiful photo you've ever seen of a, of a black young man. I'm telling you, this is uh, the all-American boy right here. See, see, Allison, that's good, but I understand. So let me help you. Let me help you. Calling the black person a boy, I know you said a compliment, so it's okay. Good. I give you permission to call yeah. me a boy. But where I'm from, from the projects of South Carolina, if a white person call you a boy, it's like, uh-oh, da-da-da-da-da-da. No, no offense. So, I know, I know. But I'm you were mess- in I'm second grade. I'm messing with you, young man. I'm messing with you. But, you know, um, you dig into the records here, and I feel very privileged to— uh, See your your second grade. Think you're now here. It says Calvin uh, uh, does very well academically. 1971, 72. Calvin does very well academically. Then he goes. She goes on and says that you're not courteous. She gives you low marks on respect for authority. And this blows my mind because, by the way, having done well 18 years now teaching students in the you know high school and college levels, you can tell leadership. She gives you low marks on leadership and uh, says uh, Calvin's class worked on a remedial level. So here's my question, because I I can look at this photograph and tell you this is a good student. I mean, I I can pretty accurately derive a lot of, you know, outcomes just looking at the type of person, the way you carry yourself. Do you feel like your teacher was making unfair assumptions about you merely because you were a black young man. And uh, if if you had been, you know, apples for apples, a white young man, she probably would have given, you know, more favorable assumptions. Okay. Very great question. The answer is, I don't know. But let me tell you what I think I know. Yeah. I know the fact that when we were there and we would be in class and the teacher would leave and the white students, because this was right there, they would call me the N-word. And I would tell the teacher, the teacher would ask little Judy, Judy, did you call Odell the N-word? Literally, she would say that. And Judy would say, no, Miss, let's just say Miss Jones for whatever. No, Miss Jones, I didn't. So the teacher would always take Judy's side. And that played well with Odell for a minute. Then I'm like, well, wait a minute. Back to what I said. I respected authority as long as authority was fair and respected me. But when authority didn't respect me, then I would respond. Now to your question, Odell, if you were a little white boy, would they have treated you differently? I don't know if that was the case, but all I could do, like we talked about, judge your own actions. So when I go into my definition of racism, everything, I always start with bias. You know, we talk about one side or person 
you know, being more preference to someone else, then bias leads to prejudice, perceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience, just prejudice against one person or another, then it leads to, it can lead to racism. The belief that the different race possesses distinct characteristics, abilities, or qualities, or that that race is superior to another race. So when we start talking about the teacher, did she feel that little black Odell was not intelligent enough to be in the advanced class based solely on my performance academically or based on looking at me. And when you look at these marks, Alice, I mean, my God, when she puts down there something like um, personal appearance and the scale audience, the scale is from a one to a four. The one is superior, two is above average, three is average, four is below average, and five is low. Well, this is what I received from my teachers. And this is just not one teacher. This is 70, 71, 72, 73. Personal appearance, they gave me a four. Then another four, and then they gave me a three, and And I finally got a two. So it's like just looking at me, just in the third grade, just looking at me, the look, my personal appearance was below average. When you start talking about self-control, I got fives, 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 and a four. And when you start looking at respect for authority, you got fives and fours. So all I can say is I'm a child dealing with an adult. Yeah. And the adult has the authority to put on my permanent record. So even 50 some odd years later, when I got my records pulled, it's still there. Yeah. So what does that say? So I'll let you answer the question based on someone's response and actions, because it's so important, Alex, because a lot of times the most likely to succeed, the most congeniality. How do you get in college? A lot of that's based on one's ability to learn and one's ability to learn, in my opinion, with Um, segregation and integration is, is there an environment where people are nurturing toward Odell or nurturing toward that poor black kid? Is that poor black kid worth saving? You know, that's a great question. Uh, Let me say, I've got a lot of respect for teachers. Um, My mother, my aunt, my sister, my sister-in-law, a lot of, lot of public school teachers in our family on both sides. And I know teachers are very can be very selfless and they invest in young people. I also know teachers that can, you know, um, rule their classroom with bias and an iron rod. Sometimes it seems like. So that being said, I'm looking at your report card here, and and I feel privileged to say this. I, I want to get kind of personal. So I don't know the teacher's heart. I I don't know, but I. The question is: This kid worth saving? That's a great question. Here's one thing, though, and if I if I get too personal, you push back. No, on no, me. no, we're good. We're um, good. On family data, uh, the mother talks about your mom, but under father, it says none at home. Uh huh. And that's like written in all caps. Yes. Whereas there's all this, you know, um, cursive writing, and I wonder, and I have no idea. But I've, I've got reams of data on the table here talking about the outcome of students, regardless of ethnicity, the family life is so informative about how well a student will do in school, whether or not they'll pursue college after high school. And I wonder if the fact that she boldly, I mean, it's you can't miss it in all caps, none, no father. And I'm, I'm wondering if in her mind, if she's like, oh, 
you know, here's, here's another black kid from a single parent family. This guy's going to crash and burn anyway. And, and I, I don't know, but the fact that she writes in all caps where everything else is not tells me she probably had a whole lot of assumptions just based on who little Odell was from his family background. You know, I, I looked at these records, Alex, and it's, it's interesting when I um, got the records from the attorney and we opened them up and I started reading some of this. Again, I'm doing this for a book I'm writing. And the editor, when I was sharing with her my experiences, she's like, I, I can't really believe that. Odell, can you get some records to back up what you're saying? So I went and got the records at her request and I was remember looking at it. And when I opened it up, all these memories, now I'm a, I'm a full grown man. And I remember all these memories just start coming out. It's almost like you open up an envelope and butterflies come flying out. Oh, yeah. These memories came back and it took me back to that place. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time here, but not so much time. However, you're absolutely right. I never noticed that. I didn't notice that because at the time, and it's still true to today, my mother was divorced. I think people being divorced is um, practical. Things don't always work out. But also... Just for you picking up on that, that's an assumption. I cannot, I don't know what she was thinking, but I know how her behavior was toward me. And, you know, when you start getting into stuff like Brown versus the Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas, and we start dealing with the whole thing on 1951 when, you know, the landmark decision from the Supreme Court Justice, you know, Oliver Brown and his daughter, Linda Brown, challenged them. And you had, you know, our great leader, our great leader at the time, Thurgood Marshall, you know, by the way, and I'll talk about this later. You know, it's like trading baseball cards or trading marbles. We traded Thurgood Marshall for Clarence Thomas. You know, optics, it looks like you got one black for black, but it's not true. Right. Clarence Thomas is not a Thurgood Marshall. He's not a Thurgood Marshall, and we've been suffering ever sat on the Supreme Court. And while we talk about the Supreme Court, I believe a black female should be on the Supreme Court, but that's a whole nother thing. So back to the, the whole issue, what's your thoughts on Brown versus the Board of Education? Because that was a landmark decision that talks so much, and it took down the whole crazy thing of Plessy versus Ferguson with the se separate but equal, all that kind of stuff. And the 14th Amendment. So what's your thoughts on that? Because you and I stepped into something right. that happened before we were born, but we had to live it out. Because just because the Supreme Court said this is the law, the state of South Carolina said, I'll show you. Odell, I believe the Brown versus Board of Education is one of those landmarks in American life that's uh, almost as important. Well, it is as important as the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And uh, you, you probably know the history a little better than I, Thurgood Marshall, who is a hero, an American hero, uh, spoke, I think, 32 times in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. And there were at least 17 states that were actively trying to keep schools segregated. So the fact that we legally went to the mat to end school segregation, um, I, that's a wonderful thing about America. And I'm glad, you know, I, I've got to say this, though, that it was the segregated largely Democrat South that vehemently fought school integration. And, and I'm sorry for that. But um, so Brown versus Board of Education and the fight to let every child have an equal shot at an education, that's a, a necessary fight. We're not completely through it yet. 
But, um, you know, for those courageous people, white and black, that fought legally and with influence to integrate the schools, I'm glad they did. I'm sorry they had to, Mm -hmm. but I'm glad they did. You know, it's something you shared with me. And you and I were part of it. And so many of our listening audience was a part of it. But you shared something with me once, and it really touched my heart. When you were talking about the young lady, and I won't uh, take your thunder, steal your thunder, the young lady who was walking to school with the law enforcement, and they were throwing tomatoes at her. Remember you sharing that story with me? Do you mind sharing a little bit there? And then we'll go into, because she was a part of it also. Uh, she she was. Um, in fact, we did a show before I knew you. We had done a couple of shows on uh, Norman Rockwell painted those those paintings. And I'm so sorry, I cannot recall the, the little girl's name. But that's a real there's a very famous Norman Rockwell painting. And she's having to she's carrying her books and she's in a white dress. And this is a real snapshot of an American moment. And some adults through a tomato at this child, a little girl going to school. And uh, anyway, let me just say this, that it's terrible. It's a terrible blight. Uh, Ruby Bridges was her name. Um, Yes. Ruby Bridges. Thank you. And, um, you know, I got to tell you this for what it's worth and, and my own personal subjective memories, take it for what it's worth. But I remember in second grade, Rena Bullock Elementary School, um, mom took me down there and my mother, who was a school teacher up in Greensboro, I keep in mind, first grade, Irving Park Elementary. Yes. The big side of town, upscale. Second grade, um, I'm sent to Rena Bullock, which is out in the rural area. And my mother drove me and she, and she said, we're going to meet your new principal. And his name is Mr. Holt. And you're, you're not going to go to Irving Park in second grade. You're going to go to Rena Bullock. And I said, where is that? Now, folks, you've got to understand, there's an area in Pleasant Garden called Stony Hill. Stony Hill is the black community. And it's, it's pretty nice now, but I assure you, in 1970, it was um, kind of little wooden shacks. And, and I went to second grade, and my mom said, I don't want you to be afraid or anything, nothing's wrong, but you're changing schools. This was integration. And my family went along with it um, because they just did. Um, So I go, and I I remember the day, Odell, that I met my new principal, Mr. Holt, and he walked us through and he said, uh, and he he put his arm around me and he said, this is where you're going to go to school and you're going to do well. Was he black or white? Oh, black. He was uh, a black man. And he was in a black suit with a white shirt and a black tie. And we went to the cafeteria. I'll never forget this. Uh, He was a good leader, and I'll tell you why. One way to make people feel comfortable, give them something to eat. (laughs) And we went to the cafeteria, and he gave me a biscuit. Okay. And he said, the ladies are cooking lunch, and and we're going to start next week. And he gave me a biscuit and a napkin, which, and he and my mom talked. But I think about this. Uh, I sat, there was like little quads of desks, four desks, and I was beside Kiwi Herbin. And Kiwi, if you're out there and you hear this, hey, man, I'd love to catch up. Kiwi was a black young man, and there was a a girl. Her name was um, Regina, and another girl whose uh, name was, if I remember, Julie. 
So there was, in every four deaths, there was two white kids and two black kids. Mm -hmm. And my second grade began. And, um, you know, we had to drive a long way to get to school, whereas Irving Park, I could walk to, reading a book. But looking back, um, I don't know what was going through the minds of the adults. But for us kids, um, as I said before, um, I don't think it is who's good at kickball, who's good at basketball, because when it's my turn to pick teams, I know who I'm going to pick. You know, <laughs> it, you know, it's interesting you would say that because everyone didn't have that experience. The state of Virginia, as I understand it, when the push was for them, they decided to end public schools altogether. I know. It, you know, which, which, which doesn't even make sense. But, you know, I, I want to respond to something. But also, before we do that, you know, people always want to know where can they get the swag. Alec, can you share with the audience where we can get the swag from? Sure. And this is, I hear you folks. And, you know, with Odell and I, I, some of our core principles, respect, communication, understanding, friendship. And we want to encourage you, talk to your neighbor, make friends with people that are different and talk. But I hear you, dot show, S-H-O-W. We're online. You can hear this and we encourage you to spread it wherever you listen to podcasts. But we've got coffee mugs. We got dog tags. We want you to be a part of the I Hear You experience. So go to IHearYou.show. And by the way, your purchase of the merchandise, not only it's something cool that you can start conversations with, but it does help us. Uh, we're not getting paid. We're, we're, we're doing this because we love each other and we love America. And we are committed. This is not a maybe, but this is like for real. We're going to see this be a great America for everybody. And someday when we pass off the scene and our kids and their kids are coming in, it's going to be a great America with, uh, with harmony and love and opportunity and civil rights for everybody. And so support us by getting your choice of the I Hear You swag. Alex, thank you. You know, it's interesting that the Brown Board of Education, Brown versus Board of Education was great. However, that was just laws. Laws are not people. And you and I and so many of the audience who are listening had to work through it. We had to walk through it. We had to, like we say, we had to work it out. We had to get all the wrinkles out. So when the question was, and you asked me a very important question, how has integration impacted the black community? And I said somewhat good and somewhat bad because the whole key for me was the environment. The fact that in the black community, all black schools, the environment was so nurturing. Now the facilities and access to better school supplies and books, because in those days, we would get the white kids leftover used books. So having better facilities, having better access to resources, great. Impacting the black community. However, losing that sense of nurturing was horrible. So when you start thinking about it, and I did a a turn because it's interesting. We talked a lot about what they valued and didn't value, talking about white school. When they found out, and you made a point, you said, who can kick the ball? Who can play basketball? So really what you're alluding to is athletic ability. Yeah. So when they found out that cute Odell can dunk a basketball or play basketball, all of a sudden it was like magic, Alex. Your stock it went was, up. My stock went up. So now all of a sudden the school system started embracing me and nurturing me just like they did when I was in an all-black school. So it's not that the white school system doesn't know how to nurture and embrace black students. 
but it's geared toward nurturing and embracing black athletes because now all of a sudden there's a value associated there because what the black athlete does is put on a jersey or a uniform with the school's names on the front of the shirt and maybe just maybe the athlete's name on the back of the shirt. And I think that rolls on into my opportunities to go to college because we were poor. You know, and it's interesting that, and I give my mother credit, in spite of when they were trying to put me in special ed, I told you a story how she walked three miles with a metal brace on her left leg and a wooden cane in her right hand, walked three miles to make sure that they didn't place me in special ed class. And because of that, challenging that system, because we talk about systemic racism to a point, they made us go to a therapist where they put all these probes on my head and all this kind of stuff. And I still remember that. It's crazy how I do. And all that, then they came back and said, he's okay. And I remember going back and they let me in class and the principal said, son, no, young man, young man, you need to turn over a new leaf. I had no idea what turning over a new leaf meant. Never heard that phase before in my life, but I said, yes, sir. And I remember happy I was back in school. But once I started playing sports, oh my God, Odell was like, you know, they couldn't get enough of Odell. And it's interesting how those who, and I want to ask you the question, how can some, and you can't speak for all white people and I can't speak for all black people, how can black white people who hate me as Odell, or not hate, that's a strong word, black people who don't value me as Odell, the black student, values the heck out of me as Odell, the athlete. athlete. How do y'all do that? How do y'all do that with a straight face? Well, uh, I can't speak for anybody else. Um, I hope, with God's help, I would never y- use somebody like that. And yeah, but I, you I, said you wanted to the, the kickball player, the basketball player. Yeah, I mean, it's it, not that you use them, but you understood who was good at what, though. Yeah, well, my priorities as a second grader were different than my priorities <laughs> as an adult. You know. Okay, my bad. My you, bad. You see what I'm saying? Bad. I didn't mean touchy, touchy, touchy. Yeah, but I love you though. But touchy, touchy there. Yeah, I would hope, and and it, it's a responsibility when you become an adult, and especially if you become an adult in a position of leadership. Um, you can't look at people as expendable. See, I mean, you once it, they said, oh, my goodness, this guy can dunk a basketball. Um, he's useful to me. That's one, one of our core values. And I think that every citizen has to have this value. We should not use we should not view people as whether or not they're useful. People and, and I want to say this. This is a moral principle, but it's also a principle of mine as a Christian Every human being is made in God's image. You have worth and value and dignity because you're a human being, not because you're useful to me. And so what I what I would call on adults, and especially those in leadership, view every child as worth investing in because they're a human being, not because they can help us get to the county championships or something like that. Um, but, you know, uh, let me give some stats here if I could. Because I, I want to say this, we've made progress as a nation, and there, there, there are some things that are undesirables. There, there is racism. But I, I want to ask you the question, is it because of intentional ill will on the part of people, or is it just um, some fallout that we continue to have to process? Listen to this. In 1960, 40% of adult whites were high school grads compared to 23% of, of adult black Americans, a gap of 20%. This is 
the U.S. Department of Education. Now, these stats are a couple of years old, but um, they were the most recent that I could get. So in 1960, 40% of adult whites had a high school diploma, 23% of blacks. But uh, today, 87% of whites have a high school diploma and 83% of blacks. So uh, that's a wonderful, that's wonderful progress. I wish 100% of people had a high school education. But listen to this. Um, in 1960, 3.1% of adult black Americans graduated from college. Today, that number is over 20%. So that, that's progress. That, that's progress. So here's my question uh, regarding this. When uh, a white child is affirmed or, and a black child is neglected, or an Asian, you know, because Asian kids are useful in the eyes of some. I'm not saying I believe this, but I'm saying, look, I know I've heard comments. They want Asian kids because they're going to make the math scores go up. You know, I mean, administrators that are looking for grant money and college recruiters that that have a certain number they want to hit in their recruitment levels. I've heard things that I'm not sure it was intentional racism, but it was pragmatism. Um, I want X amount of Asian kids because they do good in math and science. I want, you know, the white kids because their parents will give to the endowment. I want the black kids because they're going to help us on the football field. I, I wish it weren't that way. But here's my question. Do you really, as, as a black man who has faced levels of oppression in seasons of your life, do you really think it's ill will on the part of people in leadership, or is it just an accidental, though unfortunate, outcome of a nation that is trying to free itself from racist past? I think it's an ill will. I don't think nothing is accidental about it. I think it's premeditated, and I know it's wrong. Now, let me give you a reason for my response. Okay. You know, one of the things that my mother did, she made sure that all her children graduated from college. We all graduated from college. She went back and graduated. The only person who didn't was my younger sister who tragically got killed in an automobile accident, and she was a junior at Winthrop University. You know, my sister was, she got all academics in school, so she got more offers academically than I did athletically, and she ended up taking an academic scholarship to Duke University. Now, with that being said, when you start thinking about higher education and the numbers that you presented, a big part of that goes to HBCUs. HBCUs, Historical Black College and Universities, has been great yes. at really helping black individuals nurture, because it's a nurturing environment, what I talked about before. Now, when you start talking about Odell, is it an accident? Check this out. In 2019, HBCUs, with all the success that you just taunted, finally got permanent funding under the Trump administration. Think about that. Finally got permanent funding. Before, it was always four and five years. Now, do you think it was accidental that our president, our last president, gave permanent funding to HBCUs? I would say no. I think it was strategic. It was well thought out that if I need this black vote, then I'm going to put permanent funding in there to HBCUs. Now, that's how things work. Now, with that being said, though, when you start thinking about my personal experience, 
when I look at that bill that got passed last year in 2019, you had Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and the Minority Leader Chuck Schumer all agree to do this unanimously. So it was done unanimously because the White House said, do it. It wasn't nothing accidental about that. It wasn't nothing. That was strategic to say, we're going to, we had all the HBCU presidents in Washington, D.C., and said, by God, we're going to go ahead and do this thing. So now you can get year-round Pell Grant funding. Now HBCUs will be financially on a good standing. Fine. When I came out of high school and I was going on a basketball scholarship, I remember one school that recruited me. It was a junior college in Iowa. And they flew me up. The first time I've ever been on a plane, I landed in Iowa and I looked around at the school and I'm like, okay, uh, how many black girls in the school? That was one of my first questions. Two. That don't seem good. Where's the dorms? Well, we don't have dorms. We have black families. I mean, excuse me, white families that will adopt the black player. You live with them and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, hmm, South Carolina. I'm, I'm moving in with no white people who I don't know. So that's just me. That's just me. And, and I get it, Alice, but audience, listen, we are giving voice to what a lot of people are thinking. And I know a lot of people and a lot of you out there thinking this stuff. You won't say it because you could think it and some of you may even act on it. But you know and I know that if you say it, it's not politically correct and people get fired and people look at you differently when you say things. But I'm going to say it. So coming out of South Carolina, I moving to Iowa, moving it with some white family who I don't know, going to a school with only two black girls in it. So, you know, uh, uh-uh, we ain't going to do that. So we end up going to another community college and we went on. But one of the things in my journey, because I've had a stumbling blocks journey yeah, same here. to go to a four year institution, I came up short of one accounting class, accounting two. So we looked around. Remember now. I'm a value, so the guidance counselor, the financial aid people, everybody's helping me, the coach, everybody's helping me make sure I stay eligible. And the only class that would work on my schedule where I was from was the Citadel, the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah. So imagine this, Alex. Still poor, poor black kid, class at the Citadel at 1 o'clock in the evening. But at 10 o'clock in the morning, I'm on the street corner in my hood. So I'm in class on the street corner with the winos and some of the people just listening to them because everybody look at what people throw away in society, the winos, the other undesirables, quote unquote, somebody might. But they are my friends. They are people who I knew they were older, but the winos would tell stories. I would learn a lot from them because they would say what to do and what not to do. Now, they wouldn't do it, but they would say to do it. And I would leave and get on the bus at 1130 to drive down to get on downtown Charleston and be in the Citadel. In the Citadel, that classroom were preppy white boys. Oh, yeah. I remember military that. Military school. Yeah, but no, nah, they weren't, though. They, it was a military school, but, but I remember the polo shirts and the khaki pants and the craziness. These guys were just nothing what I thought the Citadel cadets would be, but I remember sitting in the front row in the front of the class right in front of the teacher, and I did that for a reason, to let the teacher know all I'm here for is to get this grade so I can move on to the next phase sure. because I didn't want the teacher talking about bias, prejudice, stereotype. I didn't want the teacher to dare think that Odell Cleveland was there for anything else because I was the only black person in that class. And I remember going to school, walking in, didn't have the right clothes. Again, didn't have right. the clothes, but that made all the difference in the world. But that allowed me. That was a hostile environment. 
They weren't rude or nothing like that, but the environment at the Citadel in those days was the environment. It's like the air you breathe. So uh, let me ask you this. And, and by the way, um, it's been my privilege to speak several times at Bennett College. I'm, you're probably familiar with Bennett College. Uh, Definitely. Uh, a traditionally Methodist university, uh, a tr- you know, predominantly black. Winston-Salem State, I spoke there about 15 years ago. Um, I've had a lot of friends that went to law school, like at North Carolina Central. So um, the Trump administration gave permanent funding under federal um, OCHIA, the Council on Higher Education Advancement. What does that uh, say to you that that happened under a Republican president rather than a Democrat? It didn't happen under Obama. I mean, I I, want to pick up on something. It sounded like, and, and forgive me if I'm perceiving it wrong, but you you were, you kind of intimated that the Trump administration did that, quote, merely to get the black vote. Um, it, it was the right thing to do, regardless of their motive. We can't know their motive. But um, does it make you feel it's less of a victory if they did it strategically, as you said, to get black vote? Oh, no, definitely. I'm so proud they did it. Yeah. I do think they did it from a strategic position to get black votes. However, I'm happy it happened because I've always been that person who believe in common ground. I'm the black um, lifelong Democrat, and I'm proud of it, who votes for and endorses Democrats and Republicans. Yeah. So I do it both. However, the Future Act, fostering undergraduate talent by unlocking resources and education, I'm so happy that that happened under the Trump administration. That could have happened under any administration. So I'm very pleased. Yeah. Now, Good. with that being said, you know, and again, I always say to you, Alex, I'm not questioning you like you're on a witness stand. I'm questioning you for better understanding, because when you start talking about education from a racial perspective with school integration, you know, Brown Board of Education choice and everything else, I'm a big proponent for school choice. Yeah. I think that Me school too. choice, because the reason why, when you start thinking about choice, people have always had choices, except for when you can't move. When you start looking at integrated schools, integrated classrooms, distance learning, school choice, zip codes, private schools, charter schools, magnet schools, Christian schools, HBCUs are a choice. People choose to go to HBCU, public colleges, private oh, yeah. colleges and universities, military schools, schools for women, all these type of things, it makes a difference And I think that for us to say that school choice is bad, that's not true. That's not true. And Odell's opinion, Odell's opinion is not true because it's not a fight against public schools and charter schools. No, I think that different people need different experiences. It's no such thing as one size fits all. What's your thing on school choice? Because it's a hot button issue, but we don't back away from hot button issues on I hear you. Well, and it's a it's an issue of parents' rights. I mean, one of the most intimate things for a mom and a dad is their child's education. And, um, you know, while, hey, back in the 70s, no doubt there were parents that moved the chess pieces on the table to try to get their kids not to go to a black elementary or middle or high school. But school choice now is much more, and I've, I've interviewed for one single book, one book, the 21 questions your kids ask about God, uh, which, by the way, won an award for the video curriculum we did with it. Well, congratulations on you winning an award. I see you slid that little plug in there. Hey, I did. Well, you know what? I'm I'm sitting across the table from uh, one of the most handsome black men in America. So I got to 
wave my flag on my side of the table whenever I can. The 21 Questions won an award, but I interviewed 330 families over a two-year period with kids 5 to 13. And one of the major things about school choice for many parents, it's not about shielding their kids from different ethnicities. It's about values and morals and religion. So I'm a big proponent of school choice because it's part of parents' rights. Um, I, I know for many families, for different reasons, choosing a different school is, is not an option, and that's unfortunate. But, um, you know, I care about kids getting truth. I care about kids not getting indoctrination or some politically correct progressive worldview. I want kids to know history. I want them to know, you know, true American history. I want kids to have um, an education not a narrative. And one of the big things that I'm worried about for education, not only equal equal opportunity for all, but kids getting uh, the chance to really learn truth. Because other countries are eating our lunch very often because the, um, the NAE is in the hip pocket of, of a lot of interest with progressive social engineering rather than education. And that too is another topic for another day. There's a lot on the table here, but a call to action that, that I would say, and you feel free to, you know, agree, disagree. Moms and dads, be involved in your kids' education. I mean, you can't just passively say, okay, the teachers have my kids for seven hours a day, and 18 years from now, they'll graduate. Mom and dad, be involved, and also, it's good, you know, dust off the cobwebs of your own math skills, mom and dad. Get in those books and you'll re-remind yourself of some history and some critical thinking skills that you learned back in the day. So I want to see moms and dads with some hands-on involvement in their kids' learning. You know, it's interesting that I remember sitting in a meeting with Bessie Duvall over at Anti-State University when it was talking about the White House initiative on historical black colleges and university. And I remember looking at her and I thought about the gaffe that she did when she was talking at a commencement exercise for HBCU, I won't call the name, and she tried to sell school choice. Sometimes the wrong message, wrong audience. But also, Alex, I had a grandmother who back in, I don't know, 1910, you know, she talked about going to a college, hit, bumping her head on a college wall, and she did. But in those days, the white South burned down the college. And mm. when you talked about school, we were the PTA president at a um, General Green. And I remember going in, and their budget was 30 thousand dollars for the PTA to raise. And they said, we're going to improve the media. I didn't even know what the media center was. That was the library. But when we were at Archer Elementary, their budget was like 1300 So a lot of time, it comes down to the money and the resources. And again, that's the good thing about what we're doing. And by the way, Alex, just want to let you know, we enjoyed this conversation. And, you know, I hear you. I hear you, Alex. I hear you. I hear you, Odell. And folks, we thank you for hearing us. You can visit us, IHearYou.show. Thanks for listening. And my dear brother, Adele, thanks for spending some time with me conversing today. And I'm wearing my camel the next time, Alex. The polo Ralph Lauren camel. And you look good as always. 